Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you guys. You can have a seat. Can we thank the band real quick while you're grabbing a seat? Thank you, guys. I don't know if you guys know this, but we are absolutely spoiled here with such incredible musicians. So thank you guys so much for all that you do. Yep, those four people love you. Um, man, great to see so many of you guys out on what, oh look, you guys, that thing up there, it's real, it's the sun. Ah! All right, this is gonna be the shortest message ever. Um, oh man, this is great. Uh, we got to see a little sunshine last week. Um, I was in, uh, in Austin, Texas, where we got to see the beautiful sunshine for a couple of days. The reason why we were there was the, the West Coast Feed, which is a band that uh, I'm in, Pastor Matt is in, several other people from Rain City. Um, we were invited out to uh, perform for the uh, All God's Children International Charity, uh, their auction, their big gala that they do, and... Um, my wife, Marissa, spoke at it. It was a really beautiful, it was a really well done event and uh, very happy to report to you that it was a huge success that um, the final tallies are not in, but at this point, uh, we have raised over $450,000 last week. And that goes to orphan care around the world through our partners at All God's Children International. So thank you guys for being generous with us and sharing with us, knowing that uh, the more that we're able to do this, the more that we can truly build God's kingdom all around the world, not just here on the east side. Today we're starting a brand new series called Look More Like Love. We're going to be walking through the book of Mark together. And um, when we say this, this idea of look more like love, I think that's what everyone's goal is in life, is, is unless you are some kind of a, a sociopath or something, you want to look more like love. Uh, the problem is, is that when we even say the word love, what does that mean? I think uh, nowadays it's a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure word. It's a word that it means whatever you want it to mean. Uh, and so we wanted to look at the life of Jesus that we believe embodies love. And what does that look like? Because I would imagine that for most of these things, we would all stack hands on saying, yes, that, that is what love looks like. Uh, I think there's going to be several times, though, uh, even for people who have been following Jesus uh, for maybe even their entire life, uh, or for people who don't know if they even want to follow Jesus yet, but are here exploring all of this, that I think we're all going to be surprised at times of what love really looks like. Uh, that what, what Jesus is asking us, how he is asking us to live, that this is what love would look like. So we want to look through this book of Mark to really explore what does it look like to look more like love. Uh, the whole church is going to be uh, going through the book of Mark together from second grade and up. And so, um, as uh, both Mike and Vincent pointed out earlier, if you don't have the app, I would encourage you to download it and then grab um, and then open it up to, uh, you can grab even just if you click on notes right there, it's the second little thing on the bottom. And then it says Book of Mark Reading Plan. You can see it there uh, in the notifications. You can make sure that you're getting those. But this is a great way for us to, to, to be reading this together as we walk through this book as a church. I uh, would also encourage you to open up your message notes for this week uh, so that you can be taking notes there. There's going to be some prompts and some next steps that you can take there as well as we're walking through this, uh, this book together. Uh, let me just give you a brief introduction to the Gospel of Mark before we dive in. 
so that we have a little bit more context of, of uh, who, who is writing this, uh, when was it written, who are they writing to, what is this whole thing really about? So the book of Mark is one of four accounts of Jesus' life that we have. Uh, we call them the Gospels. So if you're not very familiar with the Bible, basically if you kind of split it about down the middle, you'll go from what's called the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. The Gospel, um, the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, begin the New Testament. That's when Jesus has come. The, the promises of all of the Old Testament have now come to fruition in the person called Jesus. And so we have four different accounts of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The way that I like to describe the gospel accounts is it's one movie with four different camera angles. Um, so we're, we're seeing the same thing. We're just seeing it from a different perspective. Um, so, uh, the, and, the, and there's different sort of um, emphasis that these authors will put uh, on Jesus. For example, in Matthew, he sees Jesus as king. He really focuses on Jesus as king. Uh, in Mark, as we'll see through this study, that uh, he, he really focuses on Jesus as servant. In Luke, it's Jesus as man. And in John, it's Jesus as God. So Mark, who is writing uh, this book, uh, which, by the way, that, that was the question, who wrote the book of Mark? The answer is is Mark. It's Mark. Um, so a little bit about Mark, though. Mark's mom, uh, it is presumed that he came from uh, probably a well-to-do family, a wealthy family, because the early church, uh, which was growing exponentially, uh, would meet uh, regularly at Mark's mother's home. So when Mark was a young man, probably a teenager, uh, all of the early Christian church, the followers of Jesus, would come over and they would meet there and uh, they would learn about Jesus. And one of the people uh, that would come often was uh, the, the guy who was Jesus' sort of head disciple and then he led that early church. His name was Peter. And so Peter would come and he would share about Jesus' teachings and he would encourage people uh, to live and look more like love, look more like Jesus. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so um, as Mark, as sort of a young man, Mark would hear about Jesus from Peter. And then uh, that's how Mark became a follower of Jesus, by, by listening to Peter and being in those gatherings. And so as Mark uh, was, we, we see him pop up a few times in the Bible uh, in a couple of the um, journeys that are taken in the book of Acts, but he's not like a super prominent figure. Uh, but what we see is that he has a, a, a relationship with Peter. And so really what the book of Mark is, is it's not Mark's eyewitness accounts, because Mark wasn't there. He wasn't a disciple or an apostle of Jesus. Um, he, was, uh, he, he is giving Peter's firsthand account. So Mark is capturing Peter's firsthand account of, of the gospel, of, of his life, Peter's life with Jesus. And that is what Mark is capturing here. When was this written? I know that as you walked into church this morning, probably 100% of you were thinking to yourself, when was the book of Mark written? Let me answer that for you right now. 66. 66 AD is probably when it was written. Why do we care? Well, the reason why we care is because this is the earliest written account that we have of Jesus Life And in fact, many uh, scholars believe that Mark's gospel is the primary source for both Luke and 
Matthew's gospel. Uh, and so it's very important. Um, and uh, so, so who is, who, to whom is it, was it written? Who is, who is Mark writing to? Well, most likely, we don't know for certain because he doesn't say, like in many letters, it says to so-and-so or, you know, to the church in whatever. Like, we, we don't know who it is, but um, based on what we know about the book, it is most likely that Mark is writing to a Roman audience, or at the very least, he's writing to Gentiles, which just means not Jewish people. Uh, and the reason why we know that is because Mark uh, will consistently explain Jewish customs. He uh, translates Aramaic words. Um, and also, he really focuses on per, uh, persecution and martyrdom, which would have been um, of special interest to the Roman church at that time because they would have been under uh, great persecution and were experiencing even martyrdom among the believers there. Mark is, the, is sort of the Twitter version of the gospel. Uh, it's the shortest version of the gospel, and it moves along very quickly. Uh, Paul pa- excuse me, Mark packs a, a, a big punch um, in, in a few amount of words. So if you read it, you'll see that there's really not more than about a paragraph chunk most of the time, that he's really kind of moving along. And in fact, uh, he uses the word immediately, like 39 or 40 times in the gospel. There's always this sense of urgency. There's always this sense that Jesus' time on earth is limited. And so there's much to be accomplished. And so let's keep going. Immediately, next, he went on, he goes on. Those kind of action words happen constantly. So let's dive right in then to, uh, to the book of Mark. Uh, if you started the reading plan with us uh, this week, um, you're caught up into uh, the second chapter. If not, I would encourage you to go back and just read the first chapter. It's very short, but at least it kind of gives you some context to where we are. Right now, where we're Jesus is now face-to-face, he's going to call Levi, the tax collector, to become one of his followers or one of his disciples. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, which again, you can see it's four verses. He, he tells an entire story, boom, right there. Uh, it's on the screens. It's in your app too, if you want to follow along. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Today, I want to pose a few questions to you um, to to just see how, how do we see people? When you see different people in your life, how do you see them? Do you see them the way that Jesus sees them? Because Jesus has a a completely unique way of seeing people, one that most of us uh, do not share. We don't see people the way Jesus people, uh, the way that Jesus sees people so often, because it, it asks something of us. 
because it pulls us out of a place of just being in, in autopilot, and it asks us to see something even more of people. And I think for many of us, we just think, ah, it's easier to just throw somebody into a file, into a bucket, into a classification than it is to actually see someone as more than that. So when we see people, how do we see people? Do we see people or do we see problems? Jesus saw a person. It says, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, this is interesting because these would be people that either, if they were seen, they were simply seen as a thing or a part of a system, and this was something that was hated. So they wouldn't necessarily see an individual or a person. They would just see a problem. Why would they see a problem? Well, if you know anything about that time, um, the promised land, Israel, this was... um, being ruled, it had been overtaken by the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire uh, is ruling Israel, and they tax everything. It was so difficult for people uh, to exist there because they were constantly being taxed on everything. And the way that they collected tax was was uh, through something called a farming system, a tax farming system, which basically meant if you're the highest bidder then you, uh, you've won the right to go and collect taxes. Now, the reason why people would do this, first of all, you had to be rich. You had to have money in the first place to do this. And then the reason why people would do this is because you would fleece the flock. You would pad your pockets. You would go out and you would tell people, this is how much it was, and you would ask them for that. And then if they argued, you simply would introduce them to the Roman guard. And the Roman guard would introduce you to the spear, to the end of the spear. And most likely you would just be killed. This is the way that the Roman government would deal with these things, to just make sure that there was no uprising, no problems whatsoever. And so these people would go and they would, they would, you know, they would constantly gouge people. Now, the reason why this is particularly salt in the wound is because Levi is a Jew. Levi is an Israelite, he has turned his back on his own people. And so he's especially hated. They already hated tax collectors, but now they really hate this guy because he has turned his back on his own people. And now he's gouging them. And so Jesus goes up to him, and as you can see in the text, he says, you disgust me. If you ever even want to be in my company, you're going to have to change this whole thing. Enjoy hell. And then he walks away right? No, that's not what it, all what he says. It's just interesting. He says, follow me and be my disciple. That's what he said, right? But I think it's first that he says he was, he, he, as he walked along, he saw Levi. Do you see people? Do you even see people anymore? Or do you just know that, uh, man, I've kind of just, I have this vision now where those people fall into certain categories. I, I don't, I don't even see them anymore because I know that they're problematic, right? Jesus sees the marginalized and he invites them into his company. When's the last time that you did that? When's the last time that you saw someone that did not fit inside your box, inside your comfort zone, inside the way that you lived or thought or the kind of things that you enjoyed, the kind of politics that you so strongly believe in, uh, maybe even the kind of lifestyle that you live? 
When, when is the last time you saw those people and you didn't just see them as a problem to either be solved or flushed? But that you invited them into your company. Perfect example is just this last week, as I mentioned, we were in Austin, and we were there with the band, and we had this, this thing with All God's Children on Saturday night, which was a really, it was a, just really well done in a beautiful hotel. It's just very, very well done, top, you know, just kind of first class stuff. But the night before, we had an open night, we were already there, and so we said, well, let's go play another show. And so we got a show at a place on 6th Street, and if you know anything about Austin, on Friday and Saturday night, they call this Dirty Sixth. And the reason why they ter- call it Dirty Six is because it's dirty. Uh, because it's like thousands of college students who just get absolutely wasted. That's what this place becomes. The cops come, they, they close down the street so that you can kind of walk all over the place. And it becomes, it's a lot like Bourbon Street or something like that. And um, we played there on, on Friday night. And so we ended up playing to a couple hundred absolutely wasted college students. These, these kids did not know what to do with us because, you know, most of the guys, like I'm 42, most of the guys in the band are like kind of mid-30s to mid-40s. Most of us could be their dads, okay? And so we get up there and we start playing and they don't know what to do with us. So they sort of start sarcastically start doing the twist at the beginning and they're kind of like mocking us at the beginning. But then after about the second or third song, we won them over, and then they were really into it. And so, and they, somebody, one of the photographers captured this picture, just like the drunken college student high five. You don't get better than that, right? And you can even see the, the look on my face, like, are we almost done yet? All right. But it, it all started, I mean, it was very like, it was problematic at first, because we got in there, and it was like the sound check was a, was a train wreck, because you know, somebody was supposed to show up with the gear from another band, and they didn't, and then they showed up, and they didn't have the right stuff, and yada, yada, yada. And then, um, and then what we realized very quickly was that everyone was already drinking, and drinking pretty hard. And um, it was just, it was, it was very irritating. And we started to see kind of all the problems with this of like, come on, guys, like we got to get through this. We got to get through a good sound check. We've got to do whatever. Not our own guys, guys in the other bands. And um, and so we were like, you know, and then and then like people started puking and there was other things that were happening. I won't even go into detail, but we're all just like, ah, come on, you know, like. That was kind of the attitude. And then something just switched. It wasn't even like we talked about it. Or just something switched in us where we just kind of started to see not problems. We started to see people. And I think really for a lot of us, we started to see kind of like even our own kids, you know, in these kids. And so we get up and we play the show. And I promise you, it was just like the least rock star thing you've ever, you've ever seen. Because we'd be like at the end of a song and they would cheer like, thank you. Let's take a water break. All right, everybody, let's hydrate. Woo! Two, three, four, you know, and then go into the next song. And then, you know, kind of at the end, we're like, all right, does everybody have an Uber home? Okay. Don't drive. All right, you know, just have you called your mom? Let her know you're okay. That's a cool thing to do. Two, three, four, you know, like, <laughs> like the least cool things, you know? But like, 
We immediately went from like this was a problem to like these are people and these are somebody's kids and if this were my kid, I want to know he's okay and like make sure that he's got a ride home and like are you hydrating? And I mean there was like we all after the show were out and talking to all these people and like I mean we're just like I said we're, we're probably twice the age of a lot of these people. One of the, the band right after us, the, the name says it all, the band was called The Lewd Dudes and they were lewd. I will not repeat any of their lyrics but... At one point, they go, hey, this song's about stepdads. The West Coast Feed knows what I'm talking about. And then they go. <laughs> and they start playing their next song. We're like, all right. <laughs> oh, man. But we went from this place of, like, seeing this as a problem to seeing these as people. In fact, afterwards, I ended up having a conversation uh, with one of the lead singers from uh, one of the other bands. And um, it was interesting because after a few minutes, uh, you know, he was just saying, it's just so cool that you guys get to go do what you love, but also you get to go and talk about, you know, orphan care and the water crisis and like that you've kind of married these two things together that you guys are actually making a difference in the world. And I said, dude, it's not hard. You can do the same thing. And he was really, you know, he's like, I've really, you know, I really think I want to talk to the guys and figure out, like, what's our thing? Like, how can we make a difference in the world? And so I, I just thought, well, what a great opportunity that we don't see people as problems, that we see them as people, right? Like, there's, there's so much possibility that's out there. How do you see people? Do you see people as problems or do you see people as people? Do you see position or do you see potential? This, I think, is a, is, a, is a tough one because we love our positions. We love our uh, classifications. We love, you know, upper class, upper middle class, middle class, lower middle class, lower class, really low class, right? Low brow. Like we want people to be somewhere in a position, right? Or do you see potential? It says, later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Which, by the way, I think is going to be the new tagline for Rain City. Rain City Church, many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. <laughs> there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I love those parentheses. FYI, that was like everybody. So, why does this matter? Uh, because... Uh, one, one thing that we need to know is that, um, so Levi, he was, a, he was an Israelite, he was a Jew, uh, and, but also um, most scholars believe that he was from the tribe of Levi, which would be, that's why he's named Levi. And uh, the reason why that is so significant is because the Levites were the priests. That was the tribe that were the priests. They ran the synagogues. They ran church of the world, you know, of the, of the Jewish world. And so that would make Levi a priest's kid. Now, today we call it PK, a pastor's kid, right? Now, if I were at that show in Austin and I said, raise your hand if you're a pastor's kid, every kid would raise their hand out there. Why? Because pastor's kids are almost always the craziest, Right? Those are the kids that go nuts, right? Those are the kids that like, I mean, I remember in college, like there were some pastor's kids that came in and they partied the hardest. They were the people that like, were like, oh, forget it all. Let's just go, you know? And like, they were, they were a mess. One thing I'm so grateful for at this church is you guys are so gracious 
um, to, to the pastoral staffs to our kids, that you don't hold them to a, 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 a stupid, uh, you know, measurement that they can't keep, you know? That, that's the word. I, I think that's what happened with Levi. Levi ended up walking away from all of this because he said, this is an impossible standard to keep. I don't want to be a religious person. I want to find happiness someplace else. And where did he believe he could find happiness? The same place that we think we can, in money. Well, if I'm rich, then I don't have to worry about it. What's crazy about it, though, is that Matthew, who, or excuse me, Levi, who had everything, he left it all for something better. Did he have everything? No. If he had everything, then he would be like, no, thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. Enjoy your time. He left it. He left everything to go and follow Jesus. What's really amazing about this guy, Levi, is that he does start following Jesus. And he is somebody that everybody here probably knows. Whether you are familiar with the Bible or not, you probably at least know his name. Because Jesus, when, he would, when people would start following him, he would give them a new name. Like for, for Peter, he called him the Rock, right? And there was like uh, some brothers there, and he called them the Brothers of Thunder, right? Like these really cool nicknames. I wish we had cool nicknames like that, because my name is Jesse Butterworth, like, you know, that's not cool. And, uh, but, like, but then he takes, he takes this guy, Levi, and then he renames him, and he calls him Matthew. Matthew, the guy that wrote the gospel of Matthew. Now, what does it mean, Matthew? Matthew means gift of God. When Jesus saw Levi, the tax collector, he didn't see a problem. He didn't see a position. He saw his potential because he said, you are a gift of God. What did he see? I don't know exactly what he saw, but he saw a lot more than everybody else did. He also saw that Matthew, when he sat down and he wrote his account of the gospel, that Matthew included more Old Testament references than any of the other authors. Why? Because he's a church kid. Because he was paying attention. All of that scripture still lived within him somewhere. And he took it and he applied it to the life of Jesus to show, no, this is the chosen. This is the one. This is the, the one who's been prophesied about. This is the Christ, the Jesus that we've been waiting for. But nobody would know that had Jesus not seen his potential. Every single person is a gift from God, but you just have to see past the wrapping paper. Can you see past the wrapping paper? Many of us have prejudices inside that we're not even aware of. I heard a story this week about a group of 10-year-olds who were playing, and uh, they were playing kind of a rowdy game of tag in the neighborhood, and uh, the cops got called, and specifically one of the kids got singled out uh, because they, they felt like this kid was being unruly. Why did this kid got, get called out? Because he was the only black kid. Where'd that come from? I think so many of us have these biases that live within us, and, and we don't even recognize it anymore. I don't care what color of skin you have. I don't care what kind of what way you vote. I don't care you know, what kind of music you listen to. I, don't, I want you to know 
that everyone is a gift from God. Everyone. Do you start there? Is that your starting place when you see people? Do you see their potential or do you just see a problem? Or do you just see a lower position? It's a lot easier to look at people from a high horse. But then you don't really get to see who they are. I also wonder this. Do you see you as a gift of God? It's really hard to see other people as a gift from God when you view yourself as a piece of garbage. It's really hard to say, I think that person has so much potential, except for me, I don't. I'm, I suck. I mean, church has always been so good about that, right? Because in, in church, we have this thing, it's not allowed here, but in many churches around the world, it's like, you know you went to church because you felt bad, right? Like, that's called shame. Shame is not of God. Shame says you are your worst thing. Shame says you are defined by the terrible things that you do. That's not God. God is saying, no, you are a gift. You are a gift from me, and I have sent my Holy Spirit to convict. Conviction is different than shame. Conviction says, yes, you've made up, but now is your chance to look that there is a better way to live. It's not to take your face and to shove it in your mess. It is to point you to something even greater, to look more like love. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you are a gift from God and that the Holy Spirit is calling you into something greater and better? Last question. Do you see people through a window or in a mirror? What does this mean? Well, the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with these people, he says, why does he eat with such scum? Right? Who would say that? We would never say that. You say it a hundred times a day in your head. We all do. We all think that because we put people into buckets, particularly people we disagree with. What scum? They're the real problem with the world. If it weren't for them, fill in the blank. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call those, this is key, not those, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. So he, said, he didn't say, I'm coming, I didn't call the righteous. He said, I didn't call, come to call people who think they're righteous, but people who know that they are sinners. Because to eat with somebody in the Jewish world is to be intimate with them, is to know them in, in a really beautiful way, is to invite them into a deeper level of relationship. Like in Revelation 3, it, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. There was something beautiful and intimate about it. And now these religious people are pointing the finger and saying, how dare you? This is disgusting. How dare you invite these people into that level of intimacy with you? What are these people looking through? They are looking through the window. They do not see their own reflection back at them. They are simply saying, look at all of the garbage that is happening. And Jesus uses a medical term because if these people were doctors, they would suck right? Why? Because it would be like, you've got cancer, probably three weeks to live. That's a weird rash. Nothing's wrong with you. People just don't like you. Like this is, you know, if you were a doctor like that, no one would want to go to you. Why? Because you're only telling them what's wrong. A good doctor does what? Points them to the cure. Healing doesn't come from giving a diagnosis, it comes from leading to the cure. Are you leading people to the cure? How do we do that? you got to look in the mirror first. 
Why? Why does that matter? Because you and I know the incredible grace of God that is shown upon us just the way it does on everyone else. I know my problems. I know that I am fallen, that I am a sinner, but I do recognize that I am also a gift from God, and I want to walk in that. I want to see what that means, but I walk humbly in that, not in a place of feeling like I'm better than anyone, but in a place of, I want everyone to know that. Do you recognize that, or do you see someone and immediately diagnose all their issues? Do you immediately put them in a place where they are the problem? They are people to avoid. Do you recognize that you struggle with thinking of yourself as a gift of God? That you really are. It's easy for us, I think, to just stay in safe little circles with people who think and act and look and live like we do. And yet, this is not the way that Jesus lived because this isn't the way that Jesus saw people. I want to invite the band up right now and just close with this story. There's, there's a... There's a story uh, about a guy named Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell led England in a very difficult time. Uh, And uh, his men and his soldiers came to him and said, hey, we are out of all the gold and silver uh, in the kingdom uh, to mint coins. We can't keep our economy going uh, because we don't have a way to melt uh, gold and silver for more coins. They said the only gold and silver that we have in the whole country are all of the sculptures and the statues of the angels and the apostles and the disciples that are up in the churches. That's all that's left. Then Oliver Cromwell replied with, I think, one of the greatest quotes of all time. And he says, well, it's time to melt down those saints and put them back into circulation. That's what it's time for you and me. It's time to melt down those lines that we believe separate us from other people. It's time to melt down those high horses. It's time to melt down those things where we think that we are in some way better because we attend a place for an hour on Sunday. It's time for us to get back into circulation because every single one of you is a saint. Every single one of you is a gift from God. And every single one of you is meant to go out and to share that good news with others and to shine that light on other people. Not see them as a problem, but to see their potential to recognize that these are incredible, beautiful gifts from God. But it's up to you. It's up to us to go out, to have those conversations, to make it count. We're going to sing a song now that says, let me be filled with kindness and compassion for the one, the one for whom you love and gave your son, for humanity increase my love. Help me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth so that when they look in my eyes, they would see you.
For more information and resources, go to raincitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.